Our scripture text this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 22 through 40. Listen for God's word. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people, Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment, she came and began to praise God and speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Holy God, thank you for your word. Open our ears and our eyes and our hearts as we seek your understanding. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. This story today is this moment of presentation when Jesus is brought to the temple. It was an important ritual, a kind of holy holiday for this holy family. And we don't have an exact direct equivalent today, but we certainly understand the idea of ritual and babies and new life. In the church, we will often bring infants to be baptized or dedicated when they are young and to be introduced to the church family and brought into the sacrament and reminded that they belong to God. In our personal lives, we gather friends and family to present new children Sometimes parents will wait to reveal the name of the child until this presentation moment. 
Garrett and I had our daughter Naima in the midst of this global pandemic just over a year ago. And we had two wonderful and very unique COVID-modified opportunities for presentation. The first was a Zoom call. We gathered with our friends and family from all across the country over Zoom, and we held up Naima's little newborn sleeping face to the camera on the computer, and all of those little squares oohed and awed together. And it was a beautiful moment of presentation. We also had a wonderful welcome baby baby shower that many of you got to participate in. Nancy Jennings and other members of the pastor nominating committee that brought Garrett and I here hosted this event in our driveway outside in December. And they set up a fire pit and played Christmas music and they even arranged somehow for a beautiful light snow to be falling to add to the ambiance. And many of you came by and drove by and got to meet baby Naima and welcome her, give us advice, share your love and congratulations. It was a meaningful presentation experience with you, our church family. Presentation is a theme that Luke is already drawing out in these first two chapters of his gospel. The angel presents Mary with the news that she will bear the Son of God. Mary and Elizabeth present themselves before God. The infant John, the one who will become the baptizer, is presented and named. And Jesus is born, laid in a manger, and presented to a group of shepherds. And now we come to this official moment of presentation in the temple. This took place 40 days after the birth of Jesus, when he was just about five and a half weeks old. So historians don't know the exact date of Christ's birth. Many assume that it was sometime in the spring, based on historical evidence. But if it was on December 25th, this presentation moment would be right about now, this coming week, 40 days after Christmas, after his birth. And there are a few interesting things that are going on. At the time of Jesus' birth, there were three requirements under the law after a new baby was born. The first is that if the child was male, he had to be circumcised and named on the eighth day. Luke tells us that this happened with Jesus just before the passage that we read today. The second requirement under the law was a redemption ritual. This was the ritual for firstborn children that was a reminder of the exodus, of God's delivery of the people out of Egypt. And in this ritual, the firstborn was taken to the temple and consecrated, said that this child belonged to God. So here Mary and Joseph bring their firstborn, and they have this moment of remembrance, of deliverance of their ancestors, and dedication of Jesus to the Lord. The third requirement of the law had to do with purification rituals for the mother. And this perhaps feels the most antiquated of the requirements from our standpoint today, but it can reveal quite a lot. The purity purity laws that we read in Leviticus say that after childbirth, a mother was required to undergo purification for 40 days. 
For the first seven days after childbirth, she was considered unclean, and then she was in this process of purification for the next 33 days. In that time, she wasn't allowed to enter the temple or to touch any holy object. As an interesting side note to this patriarchal society that this comes from, this number of days was for a male child, but it's interesting to note that for a female child, this time was doubled. The mother was considered unclean and part of a purification process for 80 days. So here's where it gets interesting. If we look back at the words of Leviticus chapter chapter 12, we can see something significant. Leviticus 12 says, On completing the days of her purification for a child, she shall bring a yearling lamb for a burnt offering, also a pigeon or turtle dove for a sin offering, and give it to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting. If she cannot afford a sheep, she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the second for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement on her behalf, and she shall be restored. If you remember from our text, it said Mary and Joseph came to present Jesus in the, ta- in the temple, and they offered the sacrifice of two turtle doves or two pigeons. Likely, this means they couldn't afford the sheep. So they fulfilled their part of the ritual with the birds. How beautiful is it that God's law includes a form of grace? Some might even call it includes an act of welfare and that the family of Jesus himself benefited from it. It might be a really threatening and uncomfortable thought for some people, but I think it's important for us to notice. Mary and Joseph present Jesus in the temple, dedicate him to God in memory of the Exodus, and present their offerings of purification. This story of presentation reminds us that Jesus was fully human. He was connected to a time and a place and a set of religious rituals, and he was from a family without a lot of means. The story also reminds us that Jesus, even as God in the flesh, was not above or beyond the religious law. In fact, as Jesus himself later says in the gospel, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He was deeply rooted and connected to the law and the Jewish practices and the traditions and rituals and requirements. And we know that Jesus spent his ministry offering nuance to that law, disrupting it sometimes, intensifying it sometimes, drawing people to the spirit behind it, but he was always connected to it. For us today, the law isn't quite as literal as the commandments we read about in the First Testament. Though that is part of it. Some of us just finished a wonderful study of the Ten Commandments in our adult education class this morning, and we talked about how the commandments have shaped our lives and help us think about the kind of people that God calls us to be. Even if we don't look directly at these Old Testament commands and laws, we understand what it means to have rituals 
and traditions and practices and expectations around our faith life, around our church life. We participate in sacraments of baptism and communion. We do our best to keep up practices of prayer and meditation and reading scripture and being out in nature. We count on traditions like getting ashes on our forehead before Lent and hearing Messiah at Christmas time. We walk through rituals of passing the peace and saying the Lord's Prayer together, and for many of us, sitting in the same pew each week. We know what it is to be grounded in tradition, to be connected to law. And it's at this point of the presentation that two miraculous encounters happen. Two elderly people encounter the Holy Family in the temple and say amazing things. Simeon is first. It says that he is led to the temple by the Holy Spirit, that he is a deeply religious person, one who has been holding on to God's promise of restoration. As soon as Simeon sees the baby Jesus, he knows that this is salvation in the flesh. He holds the child and speaks words of prophecy that Jesus will be a light of revelation for all people. It says that Mary and Joseph are blessed and that they are amazed at his words. It's always surprised me that they were so amazed at these words. Didn't they know quite yet who this child was? The angels had come to them. The shepherds had come before them. The wise ones had worshipped the Lord. But somehow, this moment reveals the full significance of who their son is. And they are amazed. The stranger speaks in global terms about the work that their child will accomplish. And they get it in a new way. The hope that Simeon receives from just briefly encountering the baby is all the hope he needs. He essentially says to God, you can take me, I can die now, I have seen your salvation. I'm sure that Mary and Joseph never forgot this encounter, never forgot the words that they heard from Simeon. Those words changed them and opened their eyes so that they could see the redemption hope that was lying right there in their arms. Immediately following their encounter with Simeon, they have another one with a prophet named Anna. Anna is another deeply religious person. She's 84 years old and is at the temple daily engaged in fasting and in prayer. She, too, immediately senses that this is the Messiah when she sees him. So she praises God and speaks word of prophecy and shares the hope with everyone who is hopeless. I'm sure that Mary and Joseph never forgot her words either. At this presentation, it's two octogenarians who reveal where God's spirit is on the move. They sense God's action and they speak words of truth about who Jesus is and what his role will be in the world. Their sensors are so refined that they know the instant they see the baby that this is the one. 
I'm sure that Jesus was not the only child being presented in the temple that day. I'm sure that there had been dozens in the days before and would be more in the days after. Jesus didn't have a glowing halo like many of the Renaissance paintings might have us believe. He and his family looked ordinary. They were likely tired and maybe a little dirty after their travels. They were carrying with them their amended poor family offering. So I wonder how it was that Simeon and Anna could sense it. Every time I hear the language of sensing and sensors, I'm taken back to geology class my freshman year of college. I had just moved to Seattle, and I, it was right after Seattle had experienced a huge earthquake. And so in this geology class, many people were interested in understanding how the earth moves and how the Richter scale works and all of that. And I remember very vividly learning about seismometers and seismographs. And what I learned is that there are three elements that you need to make this tool that measures and senses movement. The first is that you need a solid frame. You need a rigid base that is grounded into the earth or on some sort of platform that is grounded into the earth that will be solid. Next, you need springs that hang from this rigid frame and can move any direction as the earth moves. And third, you need a weight, something that the strings are attached to that stays put when everything else around it moves. So the first seismometers had a little pen or pencil tip at the bottom of the weight, and as the earth moved, it would record on paper how much and how big these movements were. And of course, today, most of them are digitized. But the most sensitive seismometers can detect even little, little movements on the other side of the world. In fact, the most sensitive seismometer is here in the United States in a cave in eastern Tennessee, and it is deeply, deeply embedded in the bedrock of the mountains. And this seismometer is so sensitive that within a hundredth of a millisecond, it can detect movement from across the world. Seismometers sense movement with amazing accuracy. And this sort of silly science illustration actually provides us with a beautiful portrait of Simeon and Anna. They are grounded in faith, deeply connected to law, in bedrock. They're devout, they're connected to the practices and rituals of their tradition, to the promises of God. And I don't think it's insignificant that they are older. They had memory of an earlier time. They had deep roots in those traditions. And that grounding meant that they could sense movement toward hope. Simeon and Anna were also flexible enough to sense God's spirit. They had springs. Remember, the text said that Simeon was drawn to the temple on this particular day because the Holy Spirit drew him there. 
Simeon and Anna saw a new future. They were flexible enough to recognize that this future of this baby invited all people into God's promise. Gentiles, not just the few religious who had been devout like them, not just their own people, but all people. Simeon and Anna knew that one particular baby with the poor person's offering was the one. They were grounded in practice and flexible in God's spirit, and because of that, the Holy Family and so many others were made aware of a new hope that was on the horizon. We need all generations to help us know the fullness of God. We need people pulling us back to the stories and memories of how we got where we are. And we need people pushing us forward to recognize the changes in the world and the new things that God is doing. Sometimes we assume it's the old people pulling us back and the young people pushing us forward, but often, as this story shows us, it's exactly the opposite. We need to be grounded in ritual and practice, and we need to have springs and be ready for new things, too. I wonder how we might become super sensitive seismometers, sensing God's movement through the stability of our frame and the flexibility of our springs. I wonder how Fort Street might do that as well. We'll go from our worship time into an annual meeting, and whether it's your first time here or your 900th time here, I hope that you will join us for that as we think about where we are in this particular season. As we think about how we might honor the traditions of our past and our grounding, and how we might also see the new ways God is moving as we step forward together. God is moving And the hope of Christ is still alive in the world today. Can you sense it? Would you pray with me? Holy God, thank you for Simeon and Anna, for offerings that are just enough, for your grace, for traditions, and for new things. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.